I'm Halima Atta, and welcome back to another episode of A Little Perspective. Welcome, welcome back to another episode of the show, everyone. I hope you've been having an amazing week. I know I have not been. No, but my week hasn't been that bad. I think a better adjective to describe it would be stressful. Not chaotic, but definitely stressful. Um, For some context, this is kind of the last, I know it's not the last week, but it's for me, it's the last week that I'm going to be like finishing all my applications and stuff for college and, you know, everything related to that. Um, Scholarships I'm still working on, but January, I think it's safe to say that for most schools that don't do rolling admissions, January is typically the last month that they'll accept applications, January to February, but most of my friends, they're already done with their applications. So I'm one of the last ones to finish. Anyway, even though the whole application process has been super stressful for me, I definitely think it has also been really interesting because before I actually started applying, I thought the most difficult part of the entire application would be that one, like, personal essay that you have to send to like every school that requires it but now I realize that the hardest part is definitely the supplemental information and like essays that you have to write and submit that are specific to each school and I think that supplemental essays are what make the college application process especially tedious not necessarily because of how many of them are assigned by each college or university but rather because of how creative the prompts require you to be like as a student responding to them I don't know if a lot of students can relate to this but personally it's much more difficult to create essays that are more creative, you know, unconventional, out of the box, than the ones that are more logical and pragmatic. Because, I don't know, like, something, it's like how I feel about math versus English. Like, with math, there's not really much room to be, I mean, obviously, it is a difficult subject for many people, but when it comes to being confused, there's not much room for, I don't know, there's not much room for creativity. Like, if you get an answer wrong, you're wrong. And if you get it right, you're right. Like, there's not really much wiggle room. But when it comes to writing, like, there's a lot more ways to be expressive and creative. Like, you can imply things that you don't really mean. It's a lot, it's much more complex and, like, complicated to make creative essays. And so, part of, like, that's part of the reason why this week I was so stressed because I was sitting at home trying to figure out how to craft the most creative but, like, smart-sounding essay responses. For me, whenever I have writer's block, which I obviously experienced a lot this week with having to answer, like, all of these supplemental prompts and stuff, I turn to TikTok because it, it actually helps me think of more ideas for my writing. Oddly enough, like, there's so much, there's so much creativity on that app, like, jokes aside, it's really funny and stuff, but there's actually so much creativity that lives on that app. That sounds like a slogan for something. I can't remember what I'm talking about. But I digress. I went up to TikTok the other day, this week, as a distraction from my, like, college applications. So I came across this, like, 15-second TikTok that showed a girl... I don't even remember what the video was about, but I remember it being really funny. It was like this one-liner, like a really short joke. I just thought it was funny. I liked it. It had like a few, maybe a few thousand likes, but I remember it was definitely under a hundred thousand likes and I kind of moved on. And a couple hours later, I returned to the app and I see the same exact video, like the same exact video, except it was made by a guy and it had blown up. It had gotten hundreds of thousands of likes and a ton of comments, even though the videos were exactly the same. The guy's video actually blew up on TikTok. And I saw a couple comments under his video kind of like mentioning that another girl had already made the exact same video, that it didn't have as many likes, that he may have stolen content from her. And I only saw a few of those comments, so it was pretty obvious that they were overshadowed by like people like praising him for his humor, even though the joke was stolen from someone else. And I see this a lot on TikTok, Twitter, a lot of social media platforms when a girl will make content it'll kind of get a few, like, it'll gain a little bit of traction, not really any, and then a guy will kind of steal that content and make 
take something that's very, very similar and kind of go viral on the internet for it. And while that trend that I've noticed recently is on the subtle side, it does have a connection to the world of sexism and how that system kind of affects women on social media and in technology. So yes, I'm aware that the example I mentioned about the TikToks I saw earlier could have just been, you know, a more subtle demonstration of sexism. It could have just been the algorithm that, you know, allowed the guy's video to get a lot more likes and a lot more views. But of course, regardless of all of these details, I still went on Google and decided to look a little bit online about how sexism could influence the world of technology, the people that work in that field, etc. And obviously, like, when I see kind of anything that is even distantly related to a societal issue on social media or really anywhere in my life, I immediately go to my notes and write it down for a future episode topic. But this time, I was kind of uh, discouraged from doing an episode solely on like women in tech because it's an issue that a lot of us are already familiar with and a lot of us know about. So I decided to do a little bit of a deeper search and I found that the representation of women in video games is often sexist. And I decided to, I decided why not make an episode completely centered around that, women and sexism in video games. We're all familiar with sexism, but a lot of us aren't familiar with how it manifests itself into these very tiny little facets of our everyday lives. For a lot of us, we play video games all the time. And so while this episode won't deal specifically with instances of sexism on TikTok, it will deal with how this prejudice has affected the world of video games, much like how it's affected social media platforms like TikTok and Twitter. So if you know nothing about how sexism could possibly infiltrate the world of video games and tech, keep listening. First off, it's obviously important to outline what sexism even is. So to read a definition from Britannica, sexism is prejudice or discrimination based on sex or gender, especially against women and girls. So for the sake of this episode, I'm going to be focusing on how it affects women. I think it's important to note that sexism can affect men um, through maybe the promotion of harmful stereotypes and the roles that they're expected to play in society. That's a whole other topic that we could get into on another day. But I just want to like kind of reiterate that I am going to be focusing on how sexism affects women specifically. So when discussing things like sexism, racism, ableism, other societal issues, I always like to point out that they all share the same suffix, which is the ism or ism ending, which quite literally means systemic. Now, part of sexism being systemic means that it's related to a much larger concept, which is known as the patriarchy. So to talk about that in, you know, relation to sexism, I wanted to define it using some text from the Asian Pacific Institute on Gender-Based Violence. The patriarchy is a system for maintaining class, gender, racial, and heterosexual privilege and the status quo of power, relying both on crude forms of oppression, like violence, and subtle ones, like laws, to perpetuate inequality. Patriarchal beliefs of male heterosexual dominance and the devaluation of girls and women lie at the root of gender-based violence. Patriarchy is a structural force that influences power relations, whether they are abusive or not. So the influence of the patriarchy can look a little different in the business slash, you know, like workplace culture, in pop culture. So for the sake of this episode and like smoothly transitioning into the next topic, I want to talk about how it looks in the workplace. So according to results from a recent study conducted by the Pew Research Center in 2017 specifically, about 4 in 10 working women, so a near like 42% for this study, in the United States say they have faced discrimination on the job because of their gender. But I found that when it comes to the world of pop culture or entertainment, which is kind of what video games, the category that video games would fall under, a lot of the sexism that's seen within those industries really relates to the representation of women. 
I found that in like the world of pop culture, in different TV shows and movies and stuff like that, women are often represented inaccurately because the representation is kind of rooted in stereotypes rather than real experiences. And this is something that I've seen. This is something that's a very like it's a very common experience for people who have to deal with sexism, ableism, racism, all of those systemic societal issues. They often have to deal with very poor, inaccurate representation in the entertainment industry and in the media. Obviously, it's done like for giggles, for laughs for attention, but it's still very harmful. Now to kind of segue into the focus of this episode, video games remain one of the most commonly digested aspects of the entire entertainment industry. I know that almost everybody has played at least once in their life, a video game, whether on their phone, with a console, etc. So let's take a look at what sexism can look like in the video game world. So when I was doing a little bit of online, you know, mini research for this episode, kind of looking through a bunch of different sources, I found, like, I I came to the realization that sexism in video games is usually a little less overt than we usually think because it's not really, it's not as much like, oh, like, this is like a deep, like, systemic thing, like, video games were designed for this, but rather, like, it's seen through ads or, like, through certain characters that might appear in the game. So let's start off with the first example I mentioned, advertisements. Sexism is usually seen when it comes to video games in the way that these games are promoted in different aspects of the media. For example, I remember back in middle school when I would be playing, like when I played games on my phone, I had a lot on my phone. I don't remember the specific, the specific ones, but I found that the ones with like the, like the, you know, the, like the less advanced software, the, like the lower ratings, they'll often feature ads very, very frequently, like when you're actually trying to play the game. And um, one of the ones that would pop up the most, I don't remember which video game it was for specifically, it had a clash of something in it or like maybe Titans, I don't know, but it was a game that would always pop up in an ad, and the ads would never feature actual aspects of the game, like what the, the plot line of the story is, like any of the main characters. It would feature like these women with like really revealing clothes on, they were animated, and they would be like the spokesperson of the ad, but they wouldn't actually be in the real game. They would just be there to like get more clicks. And as this was years ago, I remember not thinking anything of it. Like I never really attributed the reason for this like type of advertisement's existence to sexism or like the patriarchy. I just figured, you know, like it's just a part of the game and I guess this is a main character and it always turned out to never be a main character. They were never even in the game. They were just there for clicks. And so when I actually researched for this episode, I came across this phenomenon and it talked about, um, ads that feature women in very suggestive outfits and use them almost as an accessory. So I wanted to mention some information that I found in a research paper taken from the University of East Michigan. In a content analysis of video games conducted in 2009, researchers found that 40% of the games studied feature no female characters at all, and when female characters were present, their role was usually that of a sexualized secondary character. The sexualizing of female characters usually took the form of presenting such characters with unrealistically large breasts, small waists, and large or even exposed buttocks. Additionally, women were often relegated to the role of a prop or foil for male leads. Now reading this, just this excerpt alone, put everything into perspective. A lot of the designers um, of these video games will purposely and intentionally create ads that kind of depict women in a very sexualized, suggestive manner to get more clicks. And they do that so that they can garner attention, you know, like get more downloads and obviously earn more profit in the long run. But I think that this um, has a much bigger connection to video game companies' desire to bring in more profit by appealing 
appealing to male fantasies and appealing to that like male demographic. And while this like could have been like, you know, a clever business move by female video game designers, it really isn't. Because when one considers the percentage of workers within the video game industry that are men, it all makes sense. Um, I wanted to mention the results from a 2021 game developer survey. It found that 61% of responding game developers were men, while a significantly smaller 30% were women. And so when you kind of use that statistic alone, it becomes a lot clearer that this advertising or promotion method is a form of exploitation with fictional characters that don't even exist. Like, it's really odd that these are animated people that aren't even real, and they're used specifically with, like, they have one purpose, to kind of be sexualized so that they can get more attention from male viewers and ultimately earn these video game companies a lot more profit. These companies, which, mind you, are dominated by men, so it seems very exploitative, and it is. And this all just shows how sexism will present itself differently in, of course, different settings. For example, I mentioned that statistic earlier in the episode about how in the workplace, about 42% of women in the United States say that they have faced discrimination on the job. Now, in the world of entertainment, specifically video games, we see that discrimination often doesn't happen on a, like, one-to-one basis where, like, one person will, like, harass another, but rather in the representation that we see that is inaccurate and often rooted in harmful stereotypes of women. And it's often used to promote a product to promote a product that has nothing to do with the character being sexualized and to gain you know profit in the long run now when you consider the large large role that women and these sexualized female characters play in video game advertisements and in promoting these video games you would think that women are treated with a little bit not well i mean that sounds ironic but you would think that women are kind of respected a little bit more within the video game field because they make up such a large part of its advertising so you i mean at least i would have um expected that women like since they play such a large role in the advertisement of these video games they would be seen like Um, as equal to like their male counterparts when it comes to who's actually playing the games. But it's kind of unsurprisingly, I would say surprisingly, but it's really not when you consider the trends I mentioned earlier in the episode. But I guess, surprisingly, a lot of women are disregarded and harassed once they actually play these video games. So on that note, I wanted to mention the topic of gender-based harassment that exists within the world of video games, within video gamer culture specifically. So for a really long time, um, a lot of people, it's just been commonly believed and accepted that video games are like a, a male-dominated thing. They're supposed to be masculine and like for men. And although like obviously like that's not true, it has influenced the way that these games are advertised as we previously met, as I previously mentioned how um, women are often sexualized to kind of appeal to the male gaze and to the male fantasies that a lot of video gamers possess. But that notion in itself is really a myth. A lot of video gamers are actually women. In fact, women constitute a very large portion of video gamers, like in general, not even just ones that play on their phones or on certain um, consoles, just in general. According to the Entertainment Software Association, women are thought to make up approximately 41% of gamers as of 2016 that to the 2017 like time period. And that number has only grown within recent years. But after a quick Google search, I found that women are often harassed and discriminated against not only because of their gender in the world of video games and like within the video gamer culture, but specifically because of the games that they play. 
one concept that is completely necessary to understand to be able to, you know, contribute to the conversation of sexism in the world of video games and tech is casual games. To break down this concept, I wanted to cite some information from a paper entitled An Exploratory Study of Sexism in Online Gaming Communities, Mapping Contested Digital Terrain. As social media and technology develops, we're starting to see the introduction of portable online games that require less skill development and less of a time commitment. So a good example of casual games include the ones featured on the game pigeon feature on iPhones. Um, my favorite one is Anagrams. I think I mentioned this before a few times on the show. A really popular one is 8-Ball, there's Archery, there's Basketball, there's a ton of them, and they're all really simple to learn how to play. Meaning, women now represent a much larger portion of not only gamers, but casual gamers as well. And because it constitutes such a large portion of casual gamers, a lot of people think that this now represents a shift away from the traditional young male consumer, which is true. Just to read an excerpt from the previously mentioned study, this, they say, has led to a change in the dynamics within this community where distinguishing who belongs or is a, quote, real, unquote, gamer has become important. For example, distinctions are made between hardcore gamers and casual gamers who play particular games, for example, games like Words with Friends on smartphones. Many people are now considering this shift in dynamics to be part of creating exclusionary and sometimes hostile environments for women gamers. So through just reading these excerpts alone, I've already learned that women, although they make, they constitute such a large portion of online gamers, whether casual or quote, hardcore games, they are often shunned and harassed and discriminated against by the male gamer population because of the types of games they play, which are often casual games, which are found on smartphones. I found this to be especially ironic when you realize that uh, also a similarly large portion of people who play these games are male. And they're the people who design these games featuring women that are there to be sexualized, to be exploited. And they use those women to kind of get them more promo, to get them more profit. And then once the women actually participate in these games, they're harassed yet again for just playing them because they're quote unquote too casual. So all of this information just alludes to the commonly held sexist view of women as individuals who exist merely to advertise or be sexualized through those means. Like it's, it's all related to marketing and business in the long run. And this is kind of seen especially within the video gaming industry. It's kind of one of the one of the only industries that uses women in such they they use them in a way to just be sexualized. So they kind of just use them to be exploited to kind of get clicks and attention. So I guess this, this could be said about any of the industries that rely on online marketing because it's really about what gets clicks, what gains traction through the modes of you know like likes or comments or reshares stuff like that. But I digress. A lot of women are kind of seen in this negative view because of things that exist within the video gaming industry, the entertainment industry. It all relates to the poor and inaccurate representation of women that's all just based in stereotypes. And this is just seen a lot within the world of video games. So now that this information relating to the sexism that's so prevalent within the video game industry has emerged, many people are now wondering why it's so prevalent in the first place in this industry. And I think to honestly understand that, you have to discuss the roots of sexism in the world of computers and technology-related um, industries, for example. Um, tech and computers and, like, computers are aspects of technology but like technology obviously like for obvious reasons they have a huge connection to video games because that's how they're played through you know technological means and so to kind of understand why um, sexism is so prevalent in the video game industry I think we can first discuss why it's so prevalent in the world of technology and the workforces related to that field to start off that conversation I wanted to read a quote from a paper entitled women in tech addressing the root causes of attrition 
at Google, women account for a mere 17% of tech-related employment. These numbers are mirrored by other tech giants. Women account for 15% of tech positions at Yahoo, 15% at Facebook, and 10% at Twitter. Computer science and engineering are among the occupations with the lowest percentage of female employees. Now, when seeing these statistics and reading about them online and stuff like that, it's really easy to wonder why women aren't entering these jobs at the same rate that men are. And after I read this the, this paper, it kind of opened my eyes and it gave me like a new perspective. The issue isn't that women aren't um, learning like to be in these fields because like a lot of new initiatives aimed at like getting young girls involved in STEM exist now. Like in recent years, they've all emerged. So the problem isn't that women aren't becoming educated within like the the computer science and computer engineering those paths, stuff related to those. The issue isn't a lack of education. Obviously, it is in some areas. I'm rambling. But the issue isn't that women don't possess like the motivation to enter these fields, but rather that they're leaving them because of the discrimination and harassment that they're often subject to. Because there's such a lack of diversity within the STEM-related fields for women, it's really common for a lot of them to leave them after being treated very poorly because they're often subject to, again, poor treatment because of their lack of diversity and because of how they're viewed within society which is something that I mentioned earlier in the episode. You can read that definition about the patriarchy and it kind of puts things into perspective. So to read a quote from the same study that I just read from, over 90% of women had faced some form of discrimination. Over 75% of these respondents noted that the discrimination they experienced ranged from subtle to overt, and over 40% of women felt that their careers had been negatively impacted by the discrimination. So that excerpt alone completely demonstrates that the problem isn't women not feeling motivated enough to go into tech-related fields, but rather that they will enter these fields after, you know, gaining these degrees and getting all the qualifications they need to work at Google or Yahoo, etc. And then they'll become subject to a lot of discrimination and harassment, so much so that they'll end up leaving these fields entirely because they don't feel welcome there. So this same reasoning can be applied to the video game industry, when we kind of try to dissect, you know, like, why women aren't as present in these fields as they are in other ones. It is because of the discrimination and harassment that they're often subject to when it comes to being involved in video game design, graphic design, stuff of the like. So to look at the question of the episode, is sexism in the video game industry diminishing? Now, this is a really packed question. There's obviously a lot of layers of, or a lot of lenses that we could look at this through. But to give a simple answer, I would say yes. I think the concept of progressivism is kind of being introduced, although very slowly, I think it is being introduced within the world of tech and video games because they're so closely related. I think I mentioned this a little earlier in the episode, but we even see like the emergence of STEM groups that are kind of geared towards women, geared towards getting like younger students, younger female students into learning about tech and like coding and stuff like that. I remember when I was in elementary school, I don't remember what year, maybe it was like 2013 or 2014, I don't remember, but there was something called the Hour of Code, I don't know if they still do it, but they would encourage like young students to like get into coding, and that kind of branched into coding, like coding programs, but specifically for women, and they still have those going on in schools, I know, like around the country, where they're just trying to get more young girls involved in like tech and like graphic design, computer, digital stuff, you know, things of the like. But I feel like the issue really does start and end 
and with harassment and discrimination that occurs in the tech, you know, tech workplace, video game design workplace, for example. I mentioned earlier in the episode that there is a very, like, a significantly large percentage of women who entered certain um, jobs related to tech, related to video games, and then were kind of forced out because of the harassment and discrimination they were forced to. So I don't even think that the problem is that women aren't interested in, you know, these tech-related jobs, but rather that when they get to the level of actually being employed there in those fields, they end up being pushed out because of harassment. So it's just all kind of one big loop. Like, a woman will become interested in um, maybe being a computer scientist. They'll end up getting to the dream job, and then they're faced with harassment, and a large portion of them are, you know, people that end up deciding to leave or, like, retire from that industry, take another job, because obviously, like, no one wants to be subject to poor treatment. And so I feel like no matter how many of these programs that we implement to kind of encourage and incentivize young girls to get into tech, to get into video games, those industries, it's not really going to make much of a change unless the harassment ends. But when it comes to the world of video games and video gamer culture, I don't think that the issue of sexism can really be alleviated until we kind of change the view that a lot of us have of women who play video games, whether casual ones or not. I wanted to wrap up this episode with a quote from Rachel Coward and Johannes Brewer, authors of Sexist Games Equals Sexist Gamers. We also believe sexism in gaming cultures will most likely not dissipate until gaming is understood and treated as an activity that can be enjoyed by anybody. This change needs to begin with the way we introduce technology to our children, as video games and video gameplay are largely seen as gendered, for example, exclusively male activities. With that being said, you've reached the end of this episode, so thanks so much for listening. I hope you were able to learn a little bit about sexism and the role it plays in the video game industry, because I learned a lot even just searching online for information to begin writing this episode. As always, if you enjoyed this episode, be sure to leave a positive rating through Apple Podcasts. Plus, Spotify recently implemented a new podcast rating feature, so go check that out in the Spotify app if you haven't and rate this show. Again, thank you so much for listening to this episode, and I'll see you next week here on A Little Perspective. <laughs>